Hey friends, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this message today. Everything that the Lord shows me is designed to impact people's lives and advance the kingdom in a mighty way. My prayer is that you would be so blessed and so rooted and so established in the more that the Lord has in store for your life. And remember, stay fired up! Today is the third part of my message titled Wonder and Hunger. Wonder and Hunger. This is part three in a series that I started a few weeks ago. And I started this series because I was watching my children and I was watching the wonder that they have inside of them to learn so many new things. And I'm often reminded of the scripture when Jesus said, unless you be converted and become like a child, you can't inherit the kingdom of God. Which means that there has to be this conversion process that's always taking place in my life. To be converted means to be changed from one form to another. And it means I have to constantly remind myself of what it means to be full of wonder. And when you're full of wonder, it produces hunger. If you don't have wonder, you won't have hunger. And so I was thinking about things that produce a lot of wonder in my life. One of the first things that produced wonder in my life was when I first met my wife. I remember when I first saw Amber, I was like, I had a lot of wonder going on. (laughs) And in fact, I wondered so much that it made me hungry. When you have wonder, it produces hunger. And now today, it's not weird because I fell in love with you. She's like, that's weird. It's only weird if you think of, I wasn't, I was hungry to know her more. I was hungry to discover her more. Wow, where y'all, your mind's always going the wrong direction. This church has issues, let me just tell you. Man, we have taken a fast right hand turn today. So. But the thing is, is not only was I captivated by her beauty, but I was captivated by her heart and her personality. And I watched the way that she loved on kids. And I watched her style. And I loved the confidence that was inside of her. And what I realized was she had something that I needed more than any other girl had provided before. And I had to discover that more. But when I was captivated by wonder, it produced a hunger in my life to know her. Another way that I really discovered wonder was watching my children when I first became a father. When I sat in the labor and delivery rooms and I watched the birthing process of a baby, I was fascinated. There were so many things that I never knew about delivering a baby. I mean, there's like 45 perfect things that have to happen in the right moment for that baby to be born. And as I'm watching the process and then I watch it come to fruition and then I watch a baby open their eyes for the first time and now as I've walked out fatherhood, I've been fascinated by the wonder of what God has created, and now I'm fascinated by the wonder that's inside of them because it's like, why, 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 all day long? Why, 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 why? What's that? How come? But they're fascinated to learn because they're full of wonder. And now as I watch my children, it produces a wonder inside of me. They're hungry to know more, but now I'm hungry to teach them more because there's a wonder. So when you have a wonder towards the things of God, it's God's good pleasure and delight to say, let me fulfill that, but you gotta be hungry. I always believe that wonder must start first, always. 
Not only am I captivated by the universe and the stars and the sky and all of God's creation, I'm captivated by science and medicine and technology. I believe that science and medicine and technology, when submitted to the Holy Spirit, can produce incredible wonder because now God opens up the caverns of real understanding since he's the creator of them all. So there's a lot of science and, and uh, medical understanding and things that are being taught and learned that really, really fascinate me. And I believe they're insights and understandings from the Lord. When I was younger and living in Miami, we used to take trips down to the Florida Everglades. And we'd drive way out into the Florida Everglades to this little place called Paheoki. Paheoki in Miccosukee Indian means river of grass. And we'd go 40 miles out into the Everglades. We'd grab our telescopes and a few other things we shouldn't be doing. And we would walk out to the end of the boardwalk in the middle of night, and you'd barely see the dim lights of Miami way, way off in the distance. But the stars would be so bright. And we'd grab our telescopes, and we'd look at the moon, and we'd look at the universe and the stars of the sky and be fascinated. How about going up into the Rocky Mountains on a cool fall evening? You drive up and see the color view right in your face because there's no light elsewhere, or going down the national seashore. I'm fascinated by what God has created, and I want to know more, and I want to learn more, and I'm full of wonder. And when you're a child full of wonder, submitted to the processes of God, suddenly you get so hungry and satisfied and fulfilled that you never want anything else. But the enemy's working on overtime to divert you. The enemy's working on overtime to get you sidetracked. Hence the main point of my message today is that there is an enemy. There's a very real devil. And you've got to understand that if we don't have a militant component about our lives, if we don't realize that every day there's a battle for our soul, then we'll subtly get allured and deceived into going a wrong direction. There's a very real enemy, and he wants to seduce you away from the things of God and God's plan. It's not so much that you're going to become a devil worshiper or a Satanist, but he subtly attracts you to the things of this world or to other things that would satisfy you so that you're not satisfied with the things of God. He's a deceiver, and he's out to distract you in any way that he can. He does it through false belief systems, division. He does whatever he can to create a loss of appetite. Everybody say loss of appetite. You know one of the first ways that you know you're sick? You're not hungry. And your appetite is a real picture of your spiritual health today. And what I'm out to do is get you healthy and hungry again. But if I don't create and remind you about the wonder of God and that there's a plan from the enemy to bedazzle you in the wrong direction, you'll subtly get lured away. And so I have to teach you these things. It's important that you're reminded of the battle that's at hand. The enemy wants you to have a lack of fire in your faith. He doesn't want you to be on fire. He doesn't want you to be hungry. He wants to have a dumbed-down Christianity where we all go through the religious motions and there's no real power to set the captives free and we're not really doing and becoming what God has intended. That's what the enemy wants. For non-Christians, he goes after our, the spirit and he, he conceals by bringing darkness so that the light of the gospel won't shine into their life. Hence being born again. When you're born again, you're born again in your spirit. But it's your soul realm that has all the issues. We got a lot of Christians with a lot of issues. But the Holy Spirit, thank God, does a regenerating work in your soul realm. 
You got the Bible. You have every tool and everything that you need to be equipped to overcome hatred, unforgiveness, bitterness, division, offenses. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in your soul realm. So when an unbeliever doesn't know the Lord, the first thing the enemy does is try to keep him from getting born again. However, once you've given your life to Jesus, and if you call yourself a Christian, the enemy will work on your soul realm. What's your soul realm? Your mind, your will, your emotions, how you act, how you think, how you process. So the enemy works to keep you emotionally unstable. The enemy wants you to be a wave tossed about in the sea with no direction or a, cloudless, a waterless cloud with no direction. The enemy wants you isolated and divided. And that's how he works is on your soul realm to get you into shame, fear, and isolation. He wants to bring darkness. Remember, the enemy's first plan is to bring darkness because if he can bring darkness, it can shroud the light of God from being revealed into your life. And that's the scripture, 2 Corinthians 4, 3 through 4. So if the gospel is veiled, let's bring up the first verse. If the gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those that are already perishing. Verse 4 whose minds the God of this age is blinded, they're unbelievers, so that the light of the glorious, everybody say glorious, glorious, which means magnificent and awesome and wondrous and full of splendor. The devil doesn't want the gospel of the glory of Christ to do what? To shine. Because if the image of God shines into your heart, you get a revelation. Where there's light, there's revelation. So first the enemy wants to do is not let you get a revelation of the wondrous beauty and the nature of who God is. That's why when you get the revelation, you become a sign and wonder. And people are attracted to it. Sure, people come here because you're attracted to the messages. You're attracted to maybe the style. You're attracted to the worship. But an attraction will never keep you. You've got to move beyond attraction. You've got to move into understanding of the ways of God. People will come for the other things, but they'll stay for the relationship. And that's why you've got to make the effort to get into relationship. It's a two-way street, everybody. We got to work hard to get into relationship with each other so we can diffuse the lies of the enemy. But notice that the enemy is working to blind the minds of unbelievers so that the light doesn't penetrate and shine through. He wants the gospel to be veiled. That's why the devil's called the God of the sage. It's his intent to blind unbelievers' mind. He wants to keep the light of the good news from being revealed. But when the light shines and a revelation comes, it's game over. Everybody say it's game over. It's a game changer. It means that we win and the devil loses. But he still wants every day to try to bring darkness into your life. So he works on overtime to deceive and accuse people. The enemy doesn't have to work on overtime for some people. Like for me, before I came to know the Lord... I was caught in a massive web of deception. I was a drug addict, a drug dealer, sleeping around. I was into tarot cards, new age, uh, palm reading, psychics, uh, astrology. I didn't have any idea of the truth of God. I wasn't raised with it, so I was caught in this tangled web. He already had me. And for so many people, he already has them. But God came in in his mercy and kindness and delivered me and rescued. The light penetrated through into my darkness. And now suddenly the image and nature of Christ came onto me and set me free. But for some, the enemy's not having to work so hard. But for others, he works extra hard. Because for me, it was after I got out of his web that I encountered some of the hardest, most difficult attacks in my life. 
And that's what happens. Can we turn the air off, please? That's what happens. Many people I know have come to Christ, and now it seems harder for them. They're having more difficulties. They're under more conviction now than they've ever felt before. Things seem to be going awry because the enemy works on overtime to steal the seed and the promise that's inside of you so that you won't become a true disciple and live for Jesus. And that's why I'm here. I'm a clarion voice to remind you that the enemy's coming after you full time and he wants to bedazzle you and pull you back into the kingdom that he once had you in so that you won't live the way that Jesus has called you to live. So he works on overtime against Christians. And that's why Revelations 12.10 says that the enemy deceives the brethren day and night. Your response is day and night. How often does the enemy come against you? How often does he want to deceive you? How often does he want to lie to you? Day and night means all the time. You know what the word accuse means? It means that he's accusing you and telling you that you are guilty of doing something wrong continuously. He lays an accusation and he lays a charge against you as if you've committed a crime. Now let's just tear down our religious pretension today. I already know how the devil works, and I already know if you're going to make a desire to go after the Lord, the devil's going to come and accuse you and make you feel like you're not living up, doing it right, and you're a failure, you're in, you're in shortcomings day and night. Everybody say day and night. day and night. And some of you are feeling like God's upset, mad at you, you're never good enough, you're never going to get it right. And so how often does the devil try to do this to you? And guess what he tries to do it to me? He'll come and tell me, I'm not a good pastor. This church is all jacked up. You're never going to make it. It's going to fail. Why are you wasting your time? It's too much work. Your life would be so much better fishing in the ship channel at Port Aransas. And you'll have plenty of coffee to enjoy it while you're at it. The devil constantly is laying accusations against you. And if I don't get your eyes open to it, you're going to succumb to the lie and you're going to feel like this Christian life, it's not good enough. You're never going to make it. It's shortcoming. You're going to lose your wonder and you're going to lose your hunger and he's going to bedazzle you. He's going to bewitch you into his camp right back to where you once were. That's what accusations mean. So every day we can have this feeling of you're not good enough and inadequacy. So just say, man, that's been me. And I don't want that anymore, and I'm going to stop believing the lie. And the way that you overcome the lie is by believing the truth. And I, have, I am way more cunning than the enemy. When I understand his plans and his, his attacks against my life, and I take hold of the tools and the resources and the weapons that I have spiritually, I overcome him in a second because he's already defeated. The only time he wins is when I start to believe the lie. And I start to act like I used to act or live like I used to live or go back to the way that I used to be. Which is why I've taught you for the last several weeks that we live our Christian life circumspectly. Everybody say circumspectly. The word circumspectly in the Greek is the word acrobat. And it means that I'm like walking a tightrope and I'm constantly in the balance of the enemy trying to tell me lies and the Lord speaking truth to me and what I'm going to believe. And if I don't live my life circumspectly with my eyes on Jesus and my eyes on the prize, I'm going to lose balance and I'm going to fall off. There's three voices in your head at all times. The enemy, the Lord, and your conscience. Which one are you going to believe? So when the enemy tries to tell me a lie or even my own personal issues in my heart comes up against me, I have to fight it back with the voice and the word of God. Because the enemy's first going to try to create doubt 
and disbelief into your life. Jesus taught us that in the end times, you're going to be hated by all nations for his namesake. Why would all the nations hate me? They're not going to hate me because I'm a Christian. They're going to hate me because of my offensive strategy of what Jesus' name brings. Because if I'm living in Jesus' name, that means that I'm now offensively going into the nations around me and in the world. I'm going into the nations, and they're going to hate me because I'm rescuing and delivering. And those national leaders or people are going to be puppets in the devil's hand that rise up against me to bring deception and darkness. You're not going to be hated just because you are an isolated, hold up, quiet, non-preaching, not loving, not living Christian. Be a Christian. Just keep your mouth closed. And you'll be fine. Not. So he says in the end times you're going to be hated. But then he goes on to express that people, predominantly the elect, are going to start living in betrayal Hatred and offenses. Let's pull up the scripture. Matthew 24 verse 11 says that many people are going to be offended. I'm sorry, verse 10. Many will be offended and betray one another and they'll hate one another. That's what the enemy's plan is to do is to get us to be divided, which will ultimately lead to cold love. Now let's talk about this. When you start getting offended feeling betrayed, isolating yourself, hatred takes root in your heart. When these three things happen, let me tell you what the enemy will do. He'll do the next verse. Here comes in Jesus' name. And it'll be the Christian. It'll be the family member. The enemy will come through false prophets. You will have, if you have hatred, betrayal, and offenses in your heart, and you're not truly walking with the Lord and hearing his voice clearly, then when false prophets come, you'll get deceived. The first purpose of deception, if you break down the word deceived, it means to be led astray. It means to wander and roam about. It means to fall away, especially from the truth of who God is and to believe a lie. And too many Christians are believing lies today. It means that you won't believe the goodness of who God is, and ultimately it'll lead you to sin because you'll, be, you'll live contrary to what God has for you. So deception at its finest is designed to allure you away. And here's how the deception comes. The worst deception is in the name of God. Christian TV is full of deception. Not all, not all, but a lot. There are so many people out there in the name of God that are false prophets that will come and the destructive damage is when you have offenses, hatred, and feel betrayed in your heart and then you'll get deceived. But the worst thing that happens is the next verse. The love of many will grow cold because of lawlessness. So it leads to lawlessness and then the love of many will grow cold. You know what the word grow cold means? It means to be breathed upon with a blast of cold air and the actual Greek word for cold is the word psycho. It'll make you a psychopath. You become a psychopath. You become psychotic. You know what it means to become psychotic? It means to suffer from chronic mental disorder and abnormal social behavior. When I get hatred, 
bitterness, offenses. I was lied to in the name of God. It makes me psychotic. And who's the first liar is the devil. He just uses other people to have lied to you once. And then you got hurt by the pastor or the church or the ministry. And then slowly it kills you because there's something breathing on you. This word psycho, first meaning of the word psycho in the Greek means I had a blast of cold breath breathe on me and it iced me out. I got breathed upon. How? Through lies. He's whispering in your ear. He's constantly telling you lies and it it drives people crazy. They go crazy. They become psychotic. It's not a difficult pattern to see and a difficult pattern to understand. This is the devil's strategy. God breathes, the devil breathes. One breathes life, love, and exhortation, and the other breathes death, deceit, and destruction. Remember the garden? God made a promise and gave a commission to Adam and Eve. And it's almost like I like reliving the story. It's almost like God set it all up, put Adam and Eve in this most wondrous place. It was beautiful. They had everything going for them. Everything God had made was good. And God spelled it out really clear to them so that they'd understand, man, you have freedom. You're in charge. I give you all authority, but just don't eat from this one tree. And God was walking and talking with them. And it's almost like God said, okay, I'm going to leave you here and I'm going to just go. I don't know where God went. It doesn't really say in the Bible. It just said he walked and talked with them, but he wasn't there at the moment. It seemed like he stepped around a tree and he was kind of peeking over. But really, God's everywhere because he's omnipresent, right? And so Adam and Eve are kind of hanging out thinking, God, where did you go? And in that moment of having everything, pure bliss and all the things they could ever ask for, what happens? Here comes the devil. And the devil comes to bring a lie. And the devil's lies are always the same. He puts a question mark on what God has said. On everything God tells you, the devil will put a question mark. That's why if you don't stay renewed daily and get your daily bread, if you, man, you'll forget. Your faith will grow small. I can't just eat three weeks ago. If I stop eating, I die in the natural. May I make it? I don't know how long I'll make it because I'm not going to try. But the point is, is that understand this. The devil's always got a strategy and always wants, how often? Day and night. So let's look at Genesis chapter 3. Verse 1, the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field. What I want you to know, the devil was more cunning than any beast of the field, but not Adam and Eve. Because Adam and Eve were not beasts of the field. They were sons and daughters with the breath of God inside of them. So here comes Mr. Serpent. But now, if Adam and Eve just recognized and stood on the promise, the enemy would have had no place in their life. So yeah, he's cunning, but he's not more cunning than you with the Holy Spirit. But without the Holy Spirit, you're like a beast of the field. It's animal nature. That's why the Holy Spirit gives you the ability to overcome, through power, the lies of the enemy. So the first thing that the enemy says to the woman is, has God indeed said? It's a question mark on what God has always said. That's why you must know what God is saying for yourself and not rely on anybody else. You have to read your Bible. You have to learn what God is teaching you and saying to you. And so I'm not going to read verse 2 and 3, but skip to verse 4. 
Then the enemy comes and says, basically, I'll paraphrase it for you. What God's saying is a lie. So he puts a question mark on it, and then he tells you a lie about yourself and about what God has said to get you sidetracked and deceived. Did God really say? Surely God did not say. And then suddenly you spin out. And it's verse 6 I really want to focus on. Here's the key. When the woman took a really good look at the tree, it's almost like God said, don't eat from that tree. I'm good. I'm not even going to mess with that tree. I'm living my life in the garden. Here comes the enemy. And the enemy gets me to really believe this lie, and suddenly I look really good at it. That's why when a 10-year-old looks at pornography, they're hooked. You know, pornography is rampant between 10 and 17-year-olds. Parents, if you don't have locks on your phone and safeguards, you, don't, you better bet one quick peek, it's in an instant, and they're hooked like crack cocaine. One taste, one touch, and suddenly they don't, they don't have the tools and the resources and the mental capacity and ability to not get hooked, and they suddenly are addicted at 10. They can never have a healthy relationship till they get free. Once you get free and you come back to original intent, now they can learn to love the right way. But without Jesus Christ, they're expecting their wives or their girlfriends to live like animals of what they're seeing on their phone and on the computer. It's dysfunctional love, and it's the enemy's plan. And so what Eve did was she took a really good look. And once you take a really good look, you say three things to yourself. That is pleasing to the eye. It's good to eat, and it'll give me the... It'll give me, make me wise. And it's three sins, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Lust of the flesh, it looks good to eat. Lust of the eyes, it's pleasing to my eyes, and pride of life, it'll make me wise. If you're looking to get wisdom from anything else outside of Jesus, you got the pride of life in your life. It doesn't mean that I don't get wise through study and being learned, but what it means is I'm now submitted to Jesus Christ with his breath upon my life so that everything I learn and study is submitted fully to him. And ultimately, I have the mind of Christ, so I have the wisdom of God because the Bible says that Jesus is the wisdom of God. So if you're trying to get wise through anything in this world, that's subtly the pride of life. You've got to have Jesus ruling and reigning. And so Adam and Eve both ate from the tree, and once they ate from the tree, it was over. That's why the devil's called the God of this world. He's the God of this age. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. This is what the world offers you. The world will offer you three things. The pride of life, the lust of flesh, and the lust of the eyes. So the enemy's working on overtime to bedazzle you, to draw you away. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If you love the world, the love of the Father's not in you. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And all of those things are passing away. All of the temporary pleasures that you can get are only temporary. They're never going to ultimately satisfy, which is why I don't want a temporary pleasure for an eternal destruction. It's not worth it anymore. Enough's enough already, guys. Come on. You can do this. I'm in your camp. I believe with you. You can get out of pornography. You can get out of a lustful desire in your heart. But you've got to get your hunger. You've got to get your wonder back so you get hungry for the other thing that's better for you. That's the main point of this message today. Is that the enemy seeks to pull your wonder away from God by seducing and deceiving you into believing and living a lie. And what happens when you eat the lies of the enemy you have a loss of appetite. Everybody say a loss of appetite. Now we're not hungry for the real thing anymore. 
because we've been deceived to believing this lie. I'm not going to go through the temptations of Jesus. If you want to read them, it's Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. But the temptations of Jesus went something like this. Jesus was led. He got baptized in the Jordan. He got filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately the Holy Spirit takes him to the wilderness, to the desert, to be tested by the devil. So he's full. The Bible says he's full of the Holy Spirit. But it wasn't until he overcame the temptations that he came back in the power. Your power comes when you say no. Just say no. Your power comes when you overcome. And now when the enemies come against you and you're walking circumspectly, I don't keep falling into the wrong direction. But you've got to have the tools and the resources to do it and understand the enemy's plan and say yes to the wonder and the beauty of God. The devil's first tactic to deceive Jesus was what? If you really are. You guys can go read this on your own. Devil comes to Jesus and says, if you really are the son of God, what's the devil questioning? Your identity, your authority, if you really are. And what's the first place that the devil came to get you was the lust of the flesh. Turn those stones into bread. I once turned white stones into green cabbage when I was a drug dealer. That was supposed to be a joke. <laughs> white stones, green money. I was a drug dealer, <laughs> Whew, right over your head. <clears throat> so what the devil does is in the same way as he gets you to focus on your work and your money, turn the stony places of your life into bread. Don't do it God's way. Do it my way lust of the flesh. Then the next thing is the devil takes Jesus up to a high place and says, look at all the kingdoms of the world. Look, get focused on what you could have pleasing to the eyes. And then he says, all this is mine, which is true. He's the God of this age. He says, all this is mine because all those, because the nations have been submitted to the God of this age. And he says, look, if you submit to me, I'll give you all authority, which is what? Pride of life. The same tactics that the devil used against Adam and Eve in the garden were used against Jesus in the wilderness. I'm trying to show you a pattern here. That every day, night and day, the enemy's working against your life. And it's not much different than the garden. And I'll leave you with this. In Galatians chapter 3, let me set it up for you. The church of Galatia was experiencing signs and wonders and miracles and had been baptized in the Holy Spirit and they started their work in the Holy Spirit. But as soon as they got, but got just fully fascinated with God, here came Judaizers and people that were out to deceive them and pull them back into the works of the law. So instead of staying on fire by the Holy Spirit, I'll bring it into modern day terms. If you're good enough and read your Bible enough and worship enough and you measure up, God will be pleased with you. That your value is based on what you do, not who you are. And what was happening was the Galatian church was reverting back. And Paul comes right in and says in verse 1, you have become foolish and you're now bewitched. Now, I liked the show Bewitched when I was a kid. I didn't know Jesus. I was just fascinated by witches and the supernatural. I was fascinated by the new age and all those things that, that the world and the enemy had to offer. Let's pull up Galatians 3.1. You know what it means to be bewitched? It means to be seduced by glitter. It means to be charmed. 
It means it looked so good and it fascinated me and it basically put me into a transient state to think this is so much better than what the enemy has to offer. And the Galatians then in turn reverted back. They, they stopped moving in the miraculous and being justified by faith and they were now trying to be justified by the law. You're only justified by faith, not by being good enough. And so the enemy would try to bedazzle. He, he would do all he can to seduce. And here's another great word for bewitched. How many of you know what the word feign means? F, F-E-I-G-N, feign. Look at this, only a couple people know. Feign, now you know, to feign something. It means that I'm being pretentious and I'm lying to you through praise and a fictitious story where I appear to be something that I'm not. Nathan, stand up. Let's say that I don't know Nathan from anybody, but I come to this church and I see Nathan leading worship. I'm like, man, this guy's like super rock star. I mean, wow, he's got to be famous, all these other things. And hidden behind my back is a knife. And I come up and say, listen, man, you were incredible. I just, you're the best worship leader I've ever seen. You were so awesome, man. The anointing was so strong. And you know, the Lord just began to tell me that you're going to be really famous and that, honestly, you don't really need to be where you're at. I feel like the Lord's going to be shifting you and changing. And in the name of God, I bring false prophecy, but I puff him up at the same time and behind my back is a knife to kill him. I feign praise to puff him up to make him feel good so that he goes, finally, somebody recognizes who I am. Have a seat. He says it's about time. I'm going to stab you later, bro. I can't tell you how many times people have walked into this church and they got attracted to the praise, they got attracted to my preaching, and they've come up. I can tell right away when I get the most abundance of accolades and praise by somebody I don't know, they won't be here longer than about 30 days or 90 days. Because when the honeymoon experience wears off and I call you to the cross and I don't coddle your every desire and need by running to your house or calling you because I'm not your pet pastor, you get offended and leave. Not you guys. None of you, of course. But the point I'm trying to make to you is that the minute somebody starts overly feigning praise into your life and patting you on the back, you better keep both eyes open wide really, really well. And I've just learned to respond and say, I'm glad you like me today. Come talk to me in 90 days or six months. We'll see if you're still here. And most of the time, they're not. See you next year at Christmas. It's not that I don't want encouragement, but I can tell when somebody's trying to feign praise to me, and at the end of the day, they've got their own agenda. They usually walk up and hand me money, say, hey, I just want to make sure you got this money that I was going to give to the church. Please don't do that to me. I'm not even going to look at it. I'm going to give it to someone else because I don't care. I'm not moved by your money. I'm not moved by all your giftings. I care about you and your character, and I'm not going to give you accolades and affirm you until I really see who you are and love you the way that you are on a greater level. And so I'm trying to tell you is that the enemy did that to Adam and Eve and Jesus and the Galatians. That's how you get seduced. You get bewitched through accolades that make you feel good. Man, you're just the greatest thing. Luis, man, you're just so awesome, man. You, what you do for our for our nation and our country and how you serve our city. Man, you're just so awesome. You're so, but in the back of my mind, I really want him to just come here and I really just want his money and it's all about what I can get from him and I'm really trying to puff him up because it's about me. It's a lie. I love you. Thanks for coming. There's no pressure to ever come back, but if you do, we'll love you all really well. That's pretty much how that goes. Right? 
Doesn't that just feel good? So the enemy works on overtime because he wants you to have a loss of appetite. Remember, you know that you're sick when you're not hungry. When you lose your hunger, you lose your wonder, and it makes you sick. And when you don't have hunger for the real thing, there's a problem with your spiritual health. Here's a, we got a problem at our house. We got a real situation going on. Yeah. And <clears throat> I'm pretty sure I'm not alone in this problem, but it's, it's a problem in the Ben Dead household. For some odd reason, every time when it's time to eat dinner, all my kids want are candy and snacks. It's like candy. It's dinner time. I want candy. My, Amber's cooked an awesome meal. We're going to give them something. Val- you all understand where I'm going with this. We're, I'm going to give you something valuable and nutritious. You're going to eat your real dinner, but the kids, all they want is junk food. And you know what happens when you eat spiritual junk food? You lose the appetite for the real thing. You know what happens when all you do is snack and eat junk in your life? You're not going to be hungry for the real thing. You get it now? A lot of people went, aha. But it's true. Give me spiritual junk food. Go read everybody else's books. Go watch Christian TV. Listen to all the podcasts of every other preacher. But you don't read your Bible, and you don't get the most nutritious thing for yourself. You want to know what your friends say every time you're in a hard spot. You want to turn on a podcast because somebody else's preaching makes you feel good. Or you want somebody to coddle you when you're struggling. When Jesus says, run to me and read my word and spend time with me and get your validity from me, not from the spiritual junk food. And then the enemy will try to charm you with all this other candy that in turn you're not, you're, you want what the devil wants more. I would much rather watch TV tonight than read my Bible. I'd much rather when I get up check my Facebook than read my Bible. I'd much rather when I've got five minutes just check out for a time and scroll through Facebook and Instagram. And I'm not telling you those things are bad and you shouldn't do it. What I'm telling you is you've got to make Jesus number one. Seek first the kingdom and everything else will be added to you. I understand what it means to work hard. You've got to hit the ground running. But I hit the the ground running first to the secret place and I make it clear I'm going there first as much as I can it doesn't happen all the time when you get people sick responsibilities pressures but I got to do whatever I can to make sure that I'm nourished and satisfied because if all I'm eating is starburst I don't even like starburst it's just the first thing that came to my mind skittles some of you got a skittle spiritual appetite and it's never going to satisfy you If you're satisfied, then you're not on fire. If you're satisfied, then you're not on fire. You know why? Because a fire can never be satisfied. Let me ask you that question. Can a fire ever be satisfied? It can never be satisfied. First comes the spirit, then comes the fire. First comes the wonder, then comes the hunger. If you have no joy in prayer and no joy in worship, think about it. If you have no joy in prayer and no joy in worship, if you avoid people and have no fellowship with others, if you love football, food, and beer, and that means the Dallas Cowboys more than Jesus, don't get offended. If you love shopping and money more than Jesus, if you love fishing and hunting more than Jesus, 
then you've been seduced. If you're not fighting, you've already been captured. Just go ahead and admit it now. You don't even have to pray about this altar call I'm about to have because praying is not going to do you any good. If you've already been seduced, all you got to do is say yes. I don't need you to pray about it. Just respond. Because what God wants to do in your life right now is draw you back to the wonder and the hunger that he has for you. I know it hurts if I say that some of you are spiritually dead, but I'm only saying it to call you to be awake. You don't have to overprocess. You know where you're at. If you've been captivated and fascinated by everything else, God wants to draw you back to the wonder. You know how you know when you start getting healthy again? I start eating again. It's all right. I love you. I'm patient with you. But that's why we're here. Because when you say yes, I promise you, and you mean it inside of your heart, your yes moves God's heart, and your yes then becomes his yes. And God rescues and fixes broken. And you're never too far, too distant, too bedazzled, too, too bewitched, too in the dark side to not be set free from Jesus. Take it from me. He took me out of my darkest despair and set me free. So none of you in this room are too far. Do not believe the lie of the enemy. Just come out of the dysfunction. Get your hunger back by getting your wonder back. Let's all stand. I'd like to ask my ministry team and my prayer partners to come up. This really is the most important part of the service. This is the time it's easy for you to say, well, I got to go now. But the hardest part is for you to respond sometimes and say, you know what? Pastor knew exactly what I needed. I didn't make this up. I actually spend time with the Lord, a lot of it, to come up with the word that I believe you need to hear. And in a time and season where the enemy's working to bedazzle you, bewitch you, seduce you, deceive you, and accuse you, why don't you break the neck of the enemy and say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to be a son. Because you know my son, Zion, my daughter, Cadence, they don't have to do anything to earn my love. Anything. And I never want my children to lose their wonder. I sing loud. I'm silly. I'm full of, and I bring Jesus into the picture naturally without it having to be this boring, dead, dreadful God thing. I just be the word in flesh. That's what Jesus did. He was the flesh. He was the word in flesh, so you can be too. Let your life be a living epistle. Let's get some fire back inside of you. You need to get fired up again. You need to get some breath, some life, some fuel back into your heart. And if that's you today, I want to encourage you to respond. If you're sick, hurting, distant, if you knew this word was for you, if you're tired of living the way you've been living and you're ready, I'm just telling you to say yes and let one of these mamas and papas pray. They prophesy the love on you, they encourage you. And something happens in your heart when you continuously respond. It may not be tonight. It may be over the course of time. By you continuously responding, something changes. And now I don't have a loss of appetite anymore because I stopped eating the spiritual garbage and the lies of the enemy. If you've been offended with me, please forgive me. If you're upset at the leadership of this church, please forgive them. 
If you're gossiping, please stop. Let's not let our love become psychotic, which is social dysfunction. So just repent today. Repent of your sins. Turn to the good news of the gospel. Let's tear down the lie of the veil of darkness from the enemy and let the light shine. So lift your hands up to the Lord this morning and say, Lord, let the light of the gospel, the glorious light of Jesus Christ and the good news shine into my heart. Tear down all deceptive darkness and cause me, Lord, to truly be hungry, full of wonder and full of hunger. You have been listening to a message from David Bendet, Senior Pastor of Rock City Church in beautiful Corpus Christi, Texas. David's prayer is for a deeper understanding of God's love and purpose for your life and that all of us would grow into a greater awareness of our identity in Christ. Thank you for listening, and until next time, stay fired up.